Wow, we're going to show you the way today. Show us the way home. That's, that's what church is about, right? Through Jesus, finding the way home. Amen? Uh, let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Um, wow, what, a, what an ambitious series we've had so far. Uh, I've personally felt pretty challenged by these topics And um, last week, you might have felt like sipping from a fire hose with all that I threw at you. I mean, it was a lot. I talked about basically the whole afterlife in one sermon. And I also, uh, today we're going to kind of focus a little bit on the intermediate part of the afterlife. And you might not even think there is an intermediate part of the afterlife. So I have to do a little more explaining about that. But this This is some of the most enriching sermons that I've ever prepared. I mean, I'm in my study just going, I'm crying, I'm moved like by the Holy Spirit, because this is real. This is not just, we're not just talking about stuff that's not going to happen. This is real. This is real. This is going to happen to each one of us. Every man and woman needs to think about what happens after they die, and certainly Uh, The Bible says we don't grieve like the world grieves. There's a reason we don't grieve. Certainly we we miss people and and certainly we we miss the the loss of them. But we don't grieve because we know we'll see them again. Many people will see again. And we're going to talk about that today. Uh, But we've done life, death, and beyond. We've talked about life with Ecclesiastes, death. Uh, with, with just the slavery of death and talked about how Satan puts us all our lives in the fear of death. We don't have to fear death because Jesus conquered death. Because Jesus said that essentially someday death will be no more. That we'll outlive death. I love that part. Don't you love that? I like talking trash sometimes in basketball. When I play basketball, I, I, I try not to do it as much but, but I, I still talk some trash sometimes, you know, especially with Stefan Jones when he was here. He talked me, and, and I'd be like, oh, you're going to get me? And I'd, I'd get him, and, then, and, and, he, and I'd go, woo, like that, and I'd score, you know. Next time, he'd come down and do the same thing. But with death now, I could do the same thing. I'm going to outlive you, death. Where, oh, death, is your sting? You know, death obviously has taken a lot of people, and we are going to talk a little bit about that today, but most importantly, we're going to talk about the afterlife, and I'm going to try to stay focused. It's hard when you're talking about such an amazing thing today. Today, we're going to talk about four different places, okay? We're talking about, obviously, uh, paradise, which is going to be awesome. We're going to talk about Tartarus. If you guys know what that means, that's not what you put on, uh, you know, tartar sauce. That's not... You know, for fried fish, that's another place. You don't want to have anything to do with that place. It's very dark. You can't even see your fish. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> We're going to talk about the, the, the place that, that really uh, lots of people have mistranslated in the Bible. Every time the word hell is in your Bible, you have to ask the question, is that really the word? And you're like, wait, isn't the Bible always the word of God? Yes, but it's important for you to know the Greek a little bit. You have to know, is your Bible translation saying hell or is it saying Hades? There's a difference. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Gehenna 
or hell and what that's about. You're like, whoa, we're talking about hell today? Yes, but I think it's definitely going to make you think differently about hell. That, you know, that, like we're normal, we, we think about hell. Uh, and then we're also going to talk about, um, of course, Hades and, and the whole aspect of what that is. And, and even how mythology makes it a man, right? Or, or God, the, the God of Hades, right? The, the God of the dead. Uh, that's what they say. But essentially, it's a place, a realm of the dead. So stay with me, amen? Stay with me. Um, we talked about Judgment Day last week. We're going to talk about Hades, Tartarus, Paradise, and Hell. Pray for me. The bodily resurrection and the new heaven and new earth. I really wanted to get through these topics so I could talk about the bodily resurrection. I want it to be its own sermon. If you're going home for Thanksgiving, I'm sorry. Guys, you're going to miss an amazing sermon, but it's on the app, which will be great. You can hear it. But it's going to be an amazing sermon. Such an inspiring message on the bodily resurrection. A lot of us think of us that we're going to be like these spirits in heaven. We're not going to be these spirits in heaven. We're going to have an actual spiritual immortal body. We're going to be able to do things. We're not going to just be spirits like ghosts. Jesus wasn't a spirit. He rose from the dead as a body. And people couldn't recognize him. But yet he had the marks of the Lord. The marks of the, the crucifixion. And yet people didn't recognize him. And I always wonder why they didn't recognize him. Well, because I thought they just... You know, your brain sometimes won't compute. If someone passed away, there's no way they can rise to the dead. That's certainly the case. When people saw Jesus, they were surprised. But I also think he looked a little different. He looked a little different. But he looked, but they could also recognize him at the end of it. You know, when he broke the bread, they recognized him. So we'll talk more about that next week. And then obviously the new heaven and the new earth we'll talk about uh, finally uh, before the play. Amen. So we're going to give you some time to digest with the play. I'm going to give you a lot of stuff, but please, please do not uh, just take these messages, study them out, hear them again. It's going to be awesome. Um, Let's start off with a prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time, and uh, I just pray for myself right now that I would please you with the word that's preached today. Father, these are such humbling topics, the afterlife, and they're serious, but they're also joyful Because, Lord, we know and we have confidence where we're going, Lord. Paradise. And, God, that paradise is just the waiting room for the new heaven and the new earth, God. Help us open our minds so we can understand your scripture today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to start with a dream that I had as a kid. I had a dream as a kid. I remember it was probably like my teenage years. And I was always, and probably all of us think about this, we we think, what's going to happen after we die? Where are we going? Who's thought about that before? Obviously, if you're in church, you probably have thought about that. But everyone thinks about that. And I thought, if I just jump off this bridge, where would I go? You know, now, you know, my mom's in the audience, so she's like a little worried, like, but we all think that, right? And of course, I was like, I'm not going to do that. But you think about that. You think about just like, what would happen, right? And you're a kid. And and then I've been thinking about it ever since. Amen. And we all think about it. It's important to think about it. There's a reason we think about it, because God put it on our hearts to think about it. The eternity set on our hearts, amen? And so I had this dream, and someone told me that when you're falling, right, if you hit the ground, these are my friends, right, you'll die in your sleep, you know? And so I was like, oh, man. So I always woke up, you know, right before I hit, right? But this time, I don't know what was going on, but you know how you know you're dreaming? 
That's the coolest feeling ever. I don't know, who's, who's felt that before? You know you're dreaming, and then you become like a Marvel superhero. You know, you're like, oh, I know what's going on right now. You know, and then you stop things like the Matrix. You're just like all powerful. So this is what I felt as I was falling to the ground, and I'm falling, and I'm like, I'm going to hit the ground. I want to see what happens. And, and that's probably obviously foolish. I, I, I've never necessarily had suicidal ideations in my life, but I was falling and I just was like, I'm gonna hit the ground, see what happens. And all of a sudden, I went through the ground and I was going down, 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 down. And I was like, oh man, this is cool. And I'm going down and all of a sudden I see all these colors that I've never seen before. I heard things I never heard before and I was falling down, 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 down. And, and at the point, I'm like, how, this isn't good. How far am I going to fall down? And then I heard this voice say, Glenn. And I woke up. And it was no one there. And it was like one of those voices that it, I felt like it was God speaking to me. Like, humble out, Glenn. Glenn, like, like that kind of like, you know, like stern reminder. Like, you're just a man. Don't be prideful. This, I know it's kind of funny, but this is how I felt. I woke up and I was like, that's the craziest dream I've ever had in my life. I saw things I never, I can't even express to you what I saw. I saw colors. I saw things that I never have ever seen in my life. And you might go, oh, that's silly. And, and probably is very silly. But we all have had experiences like that, right? Where near-death experiences or just times when you felt this and there's books written on it and there's movies written about it. But it's important that we have, you know, experiences like this must drive us to the Bible in Jesus Christ. You know, I think a lot of us, we go about the afterlife with our feelings. And that's not what, you don't want to base your afterlife experience on feelings. Amen? Like, I feel like God would never do this. That's not the way you want to think, right? You want to know for sure. And, and you, the only way you can really know for sure, in my opinion, is by looking at the Bible. Because Jesus was the one who was actually the one who descended down to Hades. And he ascended up to heaven. He's the only person that we can trust with this with this information, amen? And so that's why we're going to listen to him today. Jesus is the only one who rose from the dead, who conquered the death. Just because I had this dream doesn't mean anything. It certainly is a, a powerful dream to me, but it doesn't mean anything. Jesus is the only one who experienced, you know, death and then rose again. Jesus believed in Noah's Ark, Adam and Eve, Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, he believed in these things. He believed in the book, the, the story of Jonah. And you go, oh, that's just a fairy tale. No way that could happen. Really? If we do our research, we start seeing that these things could actually happen. That, that, that whales have actually swallowed people whole. And they have lived. You know, we, we see all these things and we go, oh, wait a second, really? And then Sodom and Gomorrah, you go back to that place and there's actually sulfur. An extreme amount of sulfur more than any other place in that area. And you go, really? That's on Gomorrah. Burning sulfur came and did that. We see that many people have talked about Noah's Ark. And there's stories throughout all cultures about a flood that flooded the whole earth. Amen? So we have to think twice. When we, when we hear people scoff, let's answer back. Well, have you been there? 
are these feelings based on fact or are you just feeling it? Because if you are feeling this is what's going to happen after the afterlife, that is not a wise way to, to, to live your life. You never just, hey, I'm, I'm feeling good about this stock. I'm going to put all my money on it. Feeling good. No, you do your research, right? You do your research on this company. You don't just throw your money down on one stock and say, let's play. Some people do that, but they have disposable income, right? (laughs) Unlike us. We don't have disposable income. We don't want to do that. But people, they throw throw the dice. They, They put all their money on their feelings. And what is a feeling? It's an emotion, but emotions come and go. But what stays? And you know, we don't want to ever base our eternity on feelings because they're fallible. We, want to, we don't want to play that game. We want to take the word of the person that actually went down to Hades and came back up. That's the guy we want to know from. That's the guy we want to hear from. Amen? So today we're going to talk about those two things. We're going to talk about just the intermediate part After you die, where do you go? Okay, and I'm going to try to be as clear as possible. I have this, again, this this little diagram that we talked about before. And essentially what we have is, a lot of times people think you just go right to heaven. But there's actually an intermediate part. The saved person goes to paradise. That's what Jesus said to the, the thief. Today, I will meet you in paradise. Amen. And then you're rewarded on Judgment Day. When Jesus comes back, that's when everyone is resurrected, bodily resurrected, and judged. And you go to heaven if you are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you actually, the Bible teaches that there's a torment that happens after that. And then essentially you are then, when Jesus comes back, he, 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 he makes the final sentence of you. And you are no more. Your soul is no more. And so these are kind of intense this is an intense picture, is it not? But I think we need to see, this is a visual picture of what goes on. Today we're just talking about this part. Amen? Talking about this part. And we're going to talk mostly about this part, but we're going to hit this a little bit because we need to hit this. Most people in the audience don't have to worry about this part. Come on, now give yourselves a hand. I don't have to worry about this part. I don't ever have to experience this part right here. That's, an, that's why we follow Jesus. That's why we become disciples. We don't want to, to experience this part, right? We want to experience this part. And we're going to talk about purgatory too today. And, and, and we'll, we'll explain why that's not true. Amen? Let's go to Luke 16. All right. Paradise, Hades, and beyond. That's the name of this message. Point number one. Let's jump right in. There is no such thing as purgatory. Let's go to Luke 16 and start in verse 19. How are we doing, church? <clears throat> All right. Verse 19. The Bible reads. It's a crazy, crazy uh, parable story. Verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was a laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his source. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, 
That's what my Bible reads. Who's, someone might have an old NIV. It might read in hell. We'll talk about that. Where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Hmm. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's confronted, he's com- comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let, them, let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead comes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is perhaps the most intense story in the Bible. I'm just going to say it right now. It is the most intense story, the most intense parable. I remember stopping when I was reading through the New Testament and I was like, wow, this is super, super duper intense. Amen. Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. We're going to actually stay here the whole time today. And I'm going to reference passage so you're right there. You can just stay there the whole time. We'll, we'll be going back and forth uh, through this. But what we see here is there was a rich man who lived in luxury every day. He wasn't a murderer. He wasn't a, a, a terrible person, right? He just, you know, was rich. And he enjoyed himself. That was all said about him. He lived in luxury every day. And rich people can certainly make it to heaven, amen? Rich people can absolutely, many have, have made it. Zacchaeus made it, we know that. We know that Barnabas was a, a very wealthy man. He gave tons away to the church, right? We know that I believe there were many people like Lydia who was dealt in purple linen. She absolutely uh, was a, a follower of Jesus and she was very generous, amen? So it's not the rich, but it's not, it's the, the person wasn't rich towards God. See, there's a lot of poor people in this country and it doesn't have to do anything with their food (laughs) or their money or their bank accounts. They're poor before God. They're poor to God. They don't put any time in learning about God nor put any time into understanding about God. And that, in their opinion, that's why they're not rich towards God. It's funny, there's two rich men in the Gospels, right? The, The rich young ruler who, man, he came up to Jesus, he fell on his knees and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was the rich religious guy, right? That's tough, the rich religious guy. You got two problems. You got pride for your money and you got pride for your religion. That's tough. That's a tough guy. You know, we, we need to pray for those people, right? The religious, wealthy people who got it wrong. We got to pray for those people. They need Jesus so much. But he, Jesus said, he looked at him and loved him and said, you lack one thing, go sell everything you have, give to the poor. 
And come follow me. He's probably doing it in an inspiring way. And what did he say? He walked away sad because he had great wealth. He walked away from Jesus. Very sad. Then the rich uh, fool, right? In Luke chapter 12, we see this man. He was all about his investment and portfolio accounts. He kept big and bigger barns and bigger barns. He was like, yes, bring in the grain, baby. Bring in the grain. He was so excited. He's like, I'm going to relax. I'm going to just take life easy and just... Just live off my barns, right? And what happened? That night, his life was taken from him. It was very sad. And, G- and, and then Jesus says, what, you know, what, you're not, you're, you fool, this night, your life was taken from you. And, and, and now, what will you get? What will be prepared for you? This is what will happen with anyone who's not rich toward God. That's Luke 12. So we see... There's two rich men. And there's actually a Lazarus in the Bible that raises from the dead, which that's a little weird to me. Just just side note, was this actually not just a parable? Was this actually what Jesus foresaw that was going to happen? He also was talking about his resurrection. Amen? His resurrection. That that even though someone's going to rise from the dead, like Lazarus did, they still wouldn't believe. What happened? It's crazy to say this, but... Less than three weeks after a man rose from the dead after four days, Jesus was on that cross crucified. Isn't that crazy? Wouldn't you think that they would love Jesus? But it all turned bad. And the Pharisees, instead of falling in love with Jesus and saying, we need to follow you, Jesus, you are the Messiah, they tried to kill Lazarus because he was spreading the word so much. They were like, we need to find out how to kill this guy. Because he's spreading the message too much. Talk about religious pride. But here we go. We're going to jump in. Lazarus was a poor man, and even the dogs licked his sores. Wow. The time came, verse 22, when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. See, where is paradise, church? I certainly don't know. There's not a GPS location. But what did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 12? He said, I was caught up, whether by body or not body, and I went to the third heaven. Interesting. A third heaven. Paradise, we're going to talk about later, means enclosed garden. Almost like the most amazing greenhouse you've ever seen in your life. But it's beautiful and it's wonderful. It's enclosed into another dimension that cannot be crossed over. Okay? Interesting. So, so that's why it was so hard. I mean, it, the angels carried him away, right? Which when you die, your physical body dies, but God takes your spirit, okay, which is going to turn into a resurrected body someday, and takes you to be on Abraham's bosom or his side which the Old Testament and New Testament people really believe that was paradise as well. Abraham's bosom and paradise were the same thing. Paradise means pleasure garden. It means enclosed pleasure garden. That's pretty awesome. It, 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 it really is how we get back to Eden church. It's amazing. We're going back to Eden. There's a song called Communion by Maverick City uh, music and it's an amazing song and it says take me back to the garden take me back 
to the place where I came from. It's a beautiful song. I hope we can sing it someday. But that's what we're all trying to do. Get back to Eden, amen? And guess what? You're going back the minute you die. What did Jesus say to the, rich, uh, to the, to the thief? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today. So the minute you take your last breath, you're going. The angels are taking you on the best Uber ride you ever had in your life. And you are going to paradise. How awesome is that? Now, what about the, the rich man? Well, it says the rich man also died, verse 22, and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he looked up. Now, I don't know about you, church, but I don't feel like I read the Bible sometimes. What I mean by that is like, I'm looking at it right now and I, I'm learning all this and I'm like, wait a second, he said he looked up. He said he looked up, how did I miss that? I've been reading the Bible for 20 stinking years and I don't read the Bible. And I just, that's a side note. Don't ever think you really read the Bible. There's so much there to find, guys. The Bible is amazing. And once you understand that, once you get excited about your Bible study, that's how you get zealous for God. This is making me zealous. He's looking up. So where is paradise? It's definitely above the realm of the dead. It's up. I used to think like there was a good part down in the lower regions of the earth and there was a bad part, right? And then they were kind of separated by this big fire. That, you know how you think about things ahead of time with these preconceived notions? But then Paul says the third heaven. We are going to be so removed from torment. Amen? This person died. The angels didn't carry him anywhere. He just went to Hades, the realm of the dead, where he was in torment. He looked up and all he wanted... You'd think he'd say, get me out of here, please. I'll repent. I'll do anything. He didn't say that. He knew he was supposed to be there. He understood. I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting what I deserve. But he just wanted mercy. He just wanted mercy. And the one thing he wanted was a drop of water to be put on his tongue. That's crazy. I would like you to do that one day. Come over to someone's house after a basketball game and go, would you mind... Just, I'm really thirsty. Could you take a drop of water on your finger and just put it right there? I mean, that's intense. Who says that? No one says that. I mean, I come in, I'm drinking three, four cups of water. You know what I mean? I'm like, it's like coming down my, you know what I mean? I am drinking that thing. I'm not trying to get a drop of water. That's not going to help me. But this is what he wanted. There's no such thing as purgatory. This is actually a picture from Dante's Inferno, his divine comedy, which I love. He calls it a divine comedy. Dante Alighieri was a famous, obviously he was someone who had some issues with the popes and the priests of the Catholic day. And he, he, he wrote this as a reaction to them. It's a beautiful story. But in it, he talks about the different levels of purgatory. And this is, this is crazy, this is where the popes hang out. <laughs> so you can see how he was feeling at the time when he wrote this. These are the different popes, and if you actually count them, they're, all, they're the number of popes 
that there are at that point in time. And they are literally getting their faces burned in this pot of boiling things, like almost like lobsters, you know what I mean? I mean, this is what he was saying. This was the most religious, despicable part of purgatory, and they were going to pay for their sins. And that's what purgatory is. We'll talk about that. We know this is not true. Purgatory is not in the Bible. Not anywhere in the Bible. And we see here that even to get a drop of water, verse 26, let's read that. And besides all this, between us, you, you, you and I, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. There's no way to cross over. Purgatory says that you, you essentially the save people that are not that good. You know what I'm saying? You know, people that are kind of, they're saved or they're under the friendship of God. And we'll talk about this. But they weren't really good Christians. They didn't obey God fully. They got to get purged of their sin and pay for it and, and get purified so that they'll be ready for heaven. Now, I don't know about you. That's not good news to me. <laughs> You're like, oh, great. That sounds fired up. Let me just get my face burnt for a couple hundred thousand years and then I'll be ready for heaven. No, we know that there's no condemnation for those they're in Christ Jesus. Amen. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Romans 3. We are justified. Right? By the blood of Jesus. Amen. That's awesome. There is no such thing as purgatory. I don't think I have to convince many of you of that. But we need to be able to show people in the Bible why that's true. We also see that the rich man was thinking about himself at this point in time. And then his, he realized, oh, you're right, there is a chasm. I can't ever get to where Lazarus is. I'm never going to get there. So his last request was that, please tell my brothers to repent so that I don't come here. They don't come here like this. He knew it, they were just like him. He knew that they were going to become what he became. And he was the most evangelistic person you've ever met in your life. He was begging a dead person to help him to preach the word to his five brothers. You know, it's funny. A lot of people feel like it's hard to believe this because if I have a family member who maybe didn't make it, I'm betraying them. I'm betraying them if I, if I believe this. I'm just keeping it real. Can I keep it real today? You know, people think, well, emotionally, I just can't swallow that pill because if I swallow that pill, that means that this person might be in torment. And I say that's very difficult. I just want to say it's extremely difficult. Those things, those concepts are extremely difficult. And I've had to face those, these things. And we're going to talk about the mercies of God even for the rich man very soon. So hold on. We're going to talk about what God does with these people and how he's merciful to them in a lot of ways. But what would that person say to you now? He would say exactly what the rich man said. Don't be where I am. Don't worry about betraying me. He wasn't feeling betrayed. He didn't feel like the five brothers had to come down to, 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 to love him. He wanted them to be nothing a part of this. He wanted no part of this. And so he was like, tell 
tell them to repent so they don't come down and be where I am right now. Church, if, if all the people who ever have been in this place of Hades, of torment, what would they say to you right now? They would say, repent. Be serious about God. Be serious about Him because you don't have to be where I am. Don't miss a church service. Don't, don't give God as much time as you can give Him so that you're not poor to God like I am. Oh, you're using a scare tactic. Well, guess what? We need to get a little scared. We need to fear God. People walk around in this area thinking they know what happens after after life. People walk around, and we need to get bolder, church. People walk around thinking, oh, yeah, that would never happen. That religious stuff is numbo-jumbo. I'm not going to ever believe that. Well, guess what? The man who went down to Hades and preached... And ascended up is telling you this. The only man that rose from the dead is saying this. We can be bold because of that. The thing he asked for was please send Lazarus from the dead. And that wasn't the answer, was it church? Sending someone from the dead wasn't the answer because Jesus rose from the dead. Lazarus rose from the dead and still people don't listen. What will they listen to? What convinces them? The word of God. We got to get more people their noses into this Bible. We need to get more people looking at the Bible because they will not be convinced by someone that raises from the dead and they will not be convinced about any other miracle or any other thing. They need to look at the prophets and the Old Testament and the New Testament. They need to see the Word of God. Amen? Amen. How are we doing, guys? Come on. Thirsty. Come on. Thirsty, right? <laughs> So let's talk about Gehenna. So what happens is, who in their Bible, in verse 23, whose Bible says hell? Yeah. Okay, so we got a couple people whose Bible says, you got the old land IV. What up with that, yo? Can I just say that? What up with that? Why do I have Hades and you have hell? Well, the people that made your Bible, and you, you might go, okay, this is causing me to have some doubts. Well, you need to be a student of God's word. Not every word in your Bible, it's translated from the original Greek. Unless you know Greek, you can't trust it all the time. You go, is this preacher saying that to me? Yes, I am. Especially with words like this. I mean, if it says he went down the street and talked to Jesus, you don't have to go, wait a second. (laughs) Is that? But, But this is the afterlife. These are very difficult things. And for... Let me tell you a little about church history. Okay? Okay? Okay, let's go to church history. Purgatory was part of the Catholic faith that was originated in 1200 AD. Okay? What happened was they understood the intermediate place and they wanted an answer to the people that, weren't, that were carnal Christians. So they came up with purgatory. Some theologian, some smart theologian, came up with purgatory. Even though this passage, like Luke 16, Hebrews 9, that says you die once and face judgment, they still came up with this. And so this is what the Catholic Catechism says to this day. The state, purgatory, is the state of those who die in God's friendship, or short of their eternal salvation, but who still have a need of purification to enter the happiness of heaven. 
That doesn't fire me up. Wait, I got saved and I still have to pay? The faithful who are still pilgrims on earth are able to help the souls in purgatory by offering prayers, almsgiving, indulgences, and works of penance. This is still in the catechism. And I just want to say for a second, I'm not here to bash any religions, but if something's wrong, we need to call it wrong. And, and this is wrong. And so Martin Luther, what was happening back in the days, they were indulging that purgatory situation and they literally called it indulgences, which I thought they should have came up with a better name than that. Because it just sounds evil, you know, indulgences. Like if I say, I indulge today, you're like, bro, are you okay? You know what I mean? But, but why do they call it indulgences? I don't know. I have to look that up. But essentially what they would say is, as much money as you give to the church or to alms, every time a, a coin tings the, the cup, a soul for purgatory springs. And Martin Luther had enough. He had enough. He put 95 theses against the Catholic Church. And he said, we're saved by Jesus Christ alone. We are saved individually by Christ. And essentially, no prayers or almsgiving can be given to these people who died. Essentially, we are responsible. We all stand before God's judgment seat. Amen? And so the, what they did was the, the, the church, uh, uh, the Protestant church, had an overreaction and said there's no intermediate place of the dead. You guys understand that? This is a great, please write this down. Church history is the history of religious people overreacting. That right there is worth its gold right there. You could go home right now and just understand. Now, what about us? Pray about it. We've overreacted. You don't think I've overreacted? We've overreacted. We all overreact. That's why you have to go back to the word of God. We have to say none of my beliefs are set in stone. None of my beliefs are set in stone. I am a non-denominational fellowship that is trying to restore first century Christianity. I might be part of the International Churches of Christ, but I am not married to them. I don't, I don't stay there because I have to. I try to follow God's word. Right now, this fellowship is the closest I can get, and that's why I'm here. You go, what is Glenn? Glenn's going for it. Yeah, because we're talking about the afterlife. I don't want to play around, amen? You don't want to play around with this. So going back, purgatory was an overreaction. So they said you just go to heaven or hell. And so that's why the Protestants that translated your Bible, King James, put hell. Because they didn't know what to do with Hades. You go, oh man, he's, un- he's rolling back the curtain. And you see Oz real good. You know what he did now. The word is Hades, not hell. The word is Hades. Gehenna's spoken 12 times in the New Testament, 11 times by Jesus, by the way, which is intense. Jesus petting the lamb. He's talked about hell more than any other person. Why? Because he knew it. He knew what it was. So that word is Hades, and Hades is the realm of the dead. Amen? The realm of the dead, where the, the dead go, essentially... I guess paradise would be a part of Hades. It's just in the third heaven. Amen. And then that place of torment is the, 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 the bad part of Hades. Amen. Are you with me? Amen. Are you with me? Okay. Amen. So what about Gehenna? Okay. You're like, dude, I, I need to eat my turkey now. This is intense. <laughs> we need to be able to get intense. Don't we, do we have to not be scared about being intense? No. This encourages me in many ways because it helps me know the truth. What is Gehenna? 
Gehenna is a word that was used in the Old Testament and New Testament. It was originally a valley in the cavity near Jerusalem, a place underneath the earth, a place of punishment of evil. Hell is a place, an actual place that they're referring to, Gehenna, the valley of Hinnon, okay, south of Jerusalem. This was where the filth and dead animals and trash and other things happened. The fire never burnt out, and it was essentially what we call in Cape Elizabeth the recycling center. No, it was the trash place. I love how they call it the recycling center. No, it's the trash. I'm going to the dump. Don't call it a recycling center. You know, I love the word. We need to recycle. It's great. But it was a trash place where they, where they threw trash. And essentially, the, what was intense was this place always had fire going. Never ran out. They kept the fire running because they needed to burn. And there was always worms there because the criminals that were cast into this place, not to get too gross, but the worms would just feed on them. And this was a physical place. Okay, not to get super gross, but I already did. Sorry. <laughs> What's really intense is this is also a place, once a city dump on Jerusalem's south side, is also where the Jewish kings sacrificed their sons to idols for Moloch. It became a symbol of God's judgment on the Jews after Babylon invaders from what is now Iraq erased the nation from the world map. It's pretty intense. Gehenna, the word hell, is a place of annihilation. It's a place... You know, a lot of times we think of hell as, ha ha, this guy has, you know, got a pitchfork and he's burning and he's like, finally you come down to see me, ha ha ha. And even Dante with his, you know, eight, ten levels of purgatory, it's not what the Bible says. You know, but these pictures is what Dante's Infernos has affected your understanding of hell. You got to just realize that. It's an amazing work. It's an incredible thing. The dude is dead wrong, though. He was right about one thing, though. There will be different beaten and and blows given to people. There will be different levels of punishment in that place of torment. Hitler will receive more punishment than someone like the rich man who was just running around in his, you know, sweet pimp horse chariot. You know what I mean? I don't know what he had, but he was probably, probably rolling deep, you know? Okay, that, that guy is, is not as in trouble as the other people. You know, the Bible says in Luke, write this passage down. Luke 12, verse 47 through 48, speaks about those that know God's will and yet don't do it are beaten with more blows than the one that didn't know and was, was beaten with less blows. So God holds us, even the lost accountable and even the saved accountable. That's why it's worse if we fall away, church. You know, when you get baptized, you kind of take a risk that I'm going to make it. And if I don't make it, I'm going to be beaten with more blows. Not to get too intense, not to get all freaky. That's why I'm not falling away. I'm never falling away. It, it, it might be a common thing in this world to walk away from God, but I'm not falling away. I don't care if I, everything gets stripped from me. I don't want to miss the face of God. Amen? Amen. But this is what Gehenna is. And so now we understand what Gehenna is. But then we have this understanding. We need to rethink hell. Repent or perish, right? Luke 13, 5. Perish. It actually means to pass away and come to nothing. 
That's what the actual word means. In Greek, perish means to just cease to exist. Amen? Matthew 7 says that those who are in the narrow road lead to life, right? Those on the broad road lead to destruction. Destruction is not punishment forever and ever and ever and ever. John 3.16 says, Jesus came to the earth, God so loved the world that no one should perish but have eternal life. God doesn't want anyone to perish, to cease to exist. He wants to give eternal life. But eternal life is not something that every soul just has. It's a gift, amen? Amen. It's a gift. That's what Romans 6 says. The wage of sin is death, spiritual death, the second death. The gift of God is eternal life, amen? Amen. Woo! All right, keep your finger here. We're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. All right, so there is no purgatory. There is no, there is no, there's an intermediate place where there's two places you go. And then hell comes on judgment day after Jesus comes back. Okay? We read in 2 Peter chapter 2. It's not a passage I look at most of the time, right? 2 Peter chapter 2. That was my quiet time. No, that, that's not usually a quiet time place you go. But verse 4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, particularly Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example. This is important. I'm going to read it again. Made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. So we got two major things I just read right now. We just read about... Verse 4 says, but sent them to hell. Again, that word hell, man. They love to just use that word, hell. It actually doesn't mean hell. If you look there, the Greek is what? Tartarus. Just, when it says Gehenna, translated hell. When it says Tartarus, translated Tartarus. But there's pressure, guys, when the Bible is being translated. I'll just be keeping it real. Every version, someone's like, wait a second. Are you going to put Tartarus? What's even Tartarus? Tartarus is a gloomy dungeon place of darkness where the angels go who disobeyed long. You know the fallen angels? Some of them were put in this dark abyss and kept in chains and agonizing punishment until the day of judgment. So these angels are also in this intermediate state Awaiting the judgment. That's why when Jesus came to them, don't send us to the abyss. Pretty intense. They knew what Tartarus was. You know, I I always wonder, why'd you let Satan out? Why don't you just put him in there too? God uses Satan to test men's hearts. He uses him as an instrument of purification, church. Who makes the most disciples? And this is crazy to say. Who's used the most? (laughs) You go, well, I hope I am. Amen. It's crazy to say this, but God used Satan to help Job be purified into an amazing man. And God uses and allows him to still reign a little bit 
be a little bit of not rain, but little, I don't, that's not even the right word. Just to just coexist here to test who loves God, who doesn't. But here's the thing, guys. Then he says, Sodom and Gomorrah was an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. What happened to the people in Sodom and Gomorrah? I don't want to talk about it too much. It's pretty intense. They were disintegrated. They were gone. They didn't exist anymore. Amen? They didn't exist anymore. And you go, oh, that was just, that was just a, a made-up story. I want you to go to where Sodom and Gomorrah is now and take the samples of sulfur. You'll see for yourself. Something happened there long ago. But what does that even mean? Well, essentially, hell then is just the end for people. They cease to exist. The Bible says the second death. Amen? The second death. All right. Take a deep breath. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. All right. I just want to read a couple early Christian quotes. These are the patristic fathers. It's pretty cool. You may have fallen in with some Gnostics who are called Christians. These were the people that believed that all matter was evil. However, they do not admit this intermediate state. This is Justin Martyr, 160 AD. They venture to blaspheme the God of Abraham. They say there's no resurrection of the dead. Rather, they say that when you die, their souls are taken to heaven. Do not imagine that they are Christians. Uh-oh. I used to believe that. I used to believe that. You used to believe that, right? We all used to believe that. Wait, wait, wait. What? There's no intermediate? What? what? Oh, that's what he says there. Justin Martyr says, if someone believes they're just going, their spirits are going right to heaven, there's no bodily resurrection, do not imagine that they are Christians. Well, that's pretty judgmental, Justin Martyr. Well, when you get martyred, you can be judgmental. Amen? <laughs> All right. So the rich man, this is, uh, you don't know about this guy, 230 AD. Um, he spoke. He said, the rich man was in torment and the poor man was comforted in the bosom of Abraham. The one was to be punished in Hades and the other was to be comforted in Abraham's bosom. Yet they are both spoken of as before the second coming of the Savior and before the end of the world. Therefore, their, their condition is before the resurrection. Interesting. Very interesting here. This is what he says. If you met an apostle, early Christian, and told them you thought you were going to die and went straight to heaven, you would be taken as a heretic. Oh, man, what? i got to stop believing that. Okay. Paradise. Para, para, paradise. Okay. Paradise. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So because we're going to talk more about heaven and the new earth, we're going to land here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which is a crazy scripture, by the way. I don't know if you read it and go, wait a second, what? What happened, Paul, 14 years ago? Verse 1. And, and I love how just Paul, he's, he doesn't even care to venture into talking to this. He wants to try to convince the Corinthian people to not boast, but to be weak. Amen? He says, I must... Verse 1, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. 
And now this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except what, about my weakness. Amen? Say what now, Paul? You got taken up to the third heaven, paradise. That's where the third heaven is. That's what paradise is. You're carried away by the angels. Whether by body or not. See, that's the cool thing. I hate to use a Fortnite example. <laughs> but you know, we got some teens in the audience. But, but Fortnite, they have skins, amen? They have skins. And you buy the skins for $9.99. They rip you off. You get skins. <laughs> And I think we, when, when we die, we get a, a kind of intermediate state body, amen, a skin, that we are able to be with in paradise. Essentially, there was a physical thing going on that I lost people right now. There was a physical thing happening going on right now. And essentially, the rich man thought he could actually touch, right? He could touch the other person. Everyone was conscious, and, and he wanted Lazarus to take it and touch his tongue. So there was physical things happening here. There's a physical skin happening going on. And then when we was resurrected, maybe it's like the, 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 the pre-resurrected state, and then boom, the, the fully immortal resurrected state. Because if everyone was immortal in, right, in Hades, then no one would be destroyed in Gehenna, right? We realize that. But there's an intermediate body that we take. Was it spirit? He says, I don't know. Was it body or was it not body? Which is kind of cool. You're like, wait a second. You actually thought you were in a body? Yeah, I thought I was in a body. Huh. I don't know. But God knows. I love how he says that. I was caught up in paradise and heard inexpressible things. I don't know what that's about. I heard inexpressible things worship beautiful sounds things that a man is not permitted to talk about that's pretty cool church that's pretty cool that we're going to go to a place the minute we close our eyes and breathe our last breath the angels will take us and bring us to a place enclosed and protected Unaware of the world. That's what the early Christians said. That, that, that essentially we won't be a really aware of this world in this amazing place called paradise. In this amazing place called paradise. The word paradise is Persian for enclosure. Hebrew means enclosed garden, heaven, abode of gods and his angels. An intermediate place or state where the departed souls of the righteous await resurrection and the last judgment. Pleasure garden. Pretty awesome. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Whoa, there's going to be a tree of life? Remember, we could, Adam and Eve couldn't touch that tree of life. A lot of times we ask ourselves, why didn't you let them have the tree of life? Well, they were cursed. They were sinful. They would be immoral and stuck in that body for the rest of all time. 
No way God would want them. It was merciful that the cherubim was doing this in the Garden of Eden. Because if they ate of the fruit, they would be cursed and be immortal at the same time. And they would never leave this body and never get to be freed from death. That's pretty intense, right? That the cherubim were merciful with the flashing swords. But essentially, we will eat from the tree of life. What's going to be? You take that fruit and you eat of it. And you live eternal. No more. Even before death is destroyed, you are immortal. As you're looking at death being destroyed, you are immortal because of this tree of life that's going to be given in paradise. Amen? Amen. This is cool. We regard paradise as a country. This is Cyprian. Why do we not hasten and run so that we may behold our country? Why do we not hurry to to greet our fathers? I'm sorry, to greet our fathers. This is really cool. For a great number of our dear ones are awaiting us there. Whoa! Cyprian, man, you inspired us today. Who's waiting for us there? No disciples above the master. Our master, therefore, did not at once depart, taking flight to heaven. Rather, he awaited the time of his resurrection as determined by the Father. Likewise, we also should await the time of our resurrection determined by God. See, what's cool, if you want to know about the resurrection, just study out Jesus' resurrection. And you'll know all you need to know. Amen? Amen. Pre-paradise. <laughs> That's cool, too, right? Think about this. Where was Jesus going? Ah, yeah. He went to actual, another part of heaven. Not the third heaven, beyond the third heaven. Amen? This is really cool. I want to end here. Uh, our dear brother, Wyndham Shaw, just passed away Thursday. He was an amazing, victorious man of faith. He was an elder for many years, an evangelist for many years. And he received um, the unfortunate gift of multiple systems atrophy. And it was basically multiple systems of his body were shutting down for the last three to four years. And his brain was conscious of everything, but his body was shutting down. And I'll tell you what, this was the best part of his Christianity. He lived the most victorious life at the end of his life. He didn't get bitter. He loved to the very end. He lived every day full of joy. And he went to glory this last Thursday. When we see him, we'll see a younger Wyndham Shaw. We'll see a glorified Wyndham Shaw. We'll, have, we'll see someone who just ate from the tree of life. It's pretty amazing. Then we have Sharon, who had uh, frontal temporal dementia. She was the very opposite of Wyndham. Her consciousness kind of ended, and her body was still living. So the very opposite person, but she lived to the end, a disciple. I said she was in the waiting room before she was in the waiting room. But she lived a joyful life too. It's amazing. Both these people in their suffering were joyful. Sharon would often laugh and smile. And most dementia patients that they have in those uh, facilities, they get mean. They get frustrated. They get upset. But Sharon was joyful. She was joyful. It was very interesting. The nurses even said, we don't know anyone like Sharon. She's so joyful. I was like, wow, that's cool. She knew where she was going. She felt 
She knew exactly where she was going. Now she's dancing. You know, she was a cheerleader uh, in back in the day at UMass, captain of the cheerleading team. She was a beautiful, beautiful woman. She still is. But I'm sure she's cheering on everyone coming into paradise, greeting people, excited. I've known her all her life. She had to walk with a cane. Um, this, this cane she had to walk with. Now she's thrown away the cane and she's living fully the way she wanted to always live. You know, these are great examples of people that end victoriously, church. Don't be afraid of death. Don't ever be afraid of death. If you're in Christ, don't be afraid of death because people are waiting for you. You're, the tree of life is waiting for you. The pleasure garden is waiting for you. You will be there. If you're, if you're not yet a disciple, I want to encourage you that in the words of Winston Churchill, this is what he said. Most people sometimes in their life stumble across truth. Most jump up, brush themselves off, and hurry on about their business as if nothing had happened. You know, when, as you hear this message, let it change you. Don't brush it off. Don't brush, brush this truth off. Embrace it. Because this is the truth. How do I know it's the truth? Because Jesus Christ is the greatest witness of this truth. And I'll take his word over anyone else. Amen.